Greetings. Hello and welcome. The archival recording you are about to hear was sourced from live streaming audio in an effort to expand content reach. I have decided to repurpose the show as an audio podcast. I have done my best to remaster the audio quality for your ears, but I have chosen to leave its content and length unedited. So you may hear reference to visual cues not described in said audio. If you would like to see the original live streaming video podcast this recording comes from, please head over to youtube.com slash C slash from us films, LLC, or just search from us F R U M E S S. And don't forget to like share and subscribe audio from episode to episode will also vary in quality. Sorry about that. Thank you for tuning in and listening. Jeff from us. Welcome to another episode of pizza punk. My name is pizza. Jeff, uh, your resident pizza punk. And uh, I'm here with, I don't even have to bury the lead. Look who's here. You can see him. There he is. He's, it's Monty A. Melnick. You know, I mean, I, I don't even think he needs an introduction. I want to give him an introduction, but I don't think he really needs an introduction. You know, if you're, if you're a Ramones fanatic, you know who this guy is. I like to think of myself as a Ramones semi-fanatic. Like I'm not quite at pinhead level, but I'm not, you know, you know, your typical Gabba Gabba hair, I guess. I don't know. I don't know if there's a, there's a level, but he is. One a day you'll get the pinhead level one day. One day I, I will I will acquire the, the pinhead level. He has a book that we're going to be really talking about at great length in this episode. Uh, it's called On the Road with the Ramones. This is a this is a, a, a an updated version, though, that's currently available on Amazon. The link is in the description. So check this out. If you are a Ramones fan, if you've read Ramones books, you haven't read about the Ramones until you read this book as well. This is uh, truly I think this is what gives you your degree into pinhead. So go check that out. Check out the link. It's in the description here. The bonus um, edition. It's called the bonus edition, not the updated edition. That's the right. The before. bonus edition. Very important, people. This is the bonus edition, and forty pages have been added to the bonus edition. Um, and it's I, I, I it, it truly is this this tomb is a wonderful book. And I figured, what better way? You know, what's funny about Monty here is that he he almost like. He, he waits until the end of the book to really sort of sum up and introduce himself. I feel like this should have been the, the opening of the book, and I'm going to read it for you right here. It's very quick. It's just an excerpt, and it goes like this. It's uh, the, 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 cha the chapter title is 16. It's called Pleasant Dreams. The Ramones left a trail of battered guitars, bruised eagles, shattered lives, and more than 25 albums behind them. Time has proven their supporters right, that the band was and is important as they have risen beyond cult status to become an institution a cultural icon, but at what cost? Dee Dee and Joey are gone. Marky almost died and now hardly speaks to Johnny or CJ. Johnny has also passed. Uh, Johnny will, will truly never touch a guitar again. That is true. Uh, Richie hates them all. You think the guys in the band and their fans uh, were, were pissed that they never broke through? At least they got the glory of being on stage. Monty was a behind-the-scenes player and therefore didn't even get the standing ovations or even a pat on the back. He gave more than half his life to this group and they still never busted out of the underground, still never shook the long despised punk tag. Very interesting that it's called the, the long despised punk tag, but we'll get to that. Okay. And when the catalog finally got rejuvenated and the songs started to get placed and the publishing checks got bigger, do you think Monty saw that money? He figured his reward was doing a good job. End of story. Then the thought hit him one day like a bolt of lightning. I was a part of rock and roll history, man. 
Um, I was a part of the musical revolution that changed American pop culture forever. Very true. Um, and that felt pretty good. Rather than seeing himself as a forgotten soldier in a long lost battle, he started to look in the mirror uh, at a decorated general of the victorious war. Every time he wanders into a club and sees a band on stage in leather jackets singing songs about being bored, Monty smiles. Every time he tosses back a cold one and hears, hey, ho, let's go on the jukebox or blasting out of a radio, he chuckles. When 13-year-old kids uh, skateboard by him with a Ramones patch on their jacket or a sticker on their board, Monty knows he helped make it all happen. That's true. There would be no punk rock without the Ramones, and there would be no Ramones without Monty A. Melnick. Welcome to the show, Monty. Uh, obviously, that chapter has changed a little bit since uh, uh, the the uh, since it was written. But yeah, um, because you know Tommy died after that, so Tommy and and Johnny your, are gone. Yeah, so. Tommy, Johnny, so yeah. That's why I, I kept on updating the book over the years. The book came out in two thousand four, and had two editions, three editions, and this is the fourth update. Not update, actually, the bonus edition that I actually got to put in a, a, a lot more stuff that wasn't in, in the first editions. Which I mean, it's just kind of and 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 I'm kind of I'm really glad that you did this because it to me, as I said before, it feels like kind of like the definitive story. You know, one of the descriptions that I put for this episode is that you know the the, the old, there's an old adage that you know if the wall if only these walls could talk and you know i said something to the, akin to if only these walls were a person and if that person wrote a book it would be you know on the road with the ramones by montier <laughs> melnick you know because he just kind of like <laughs> you were there for everything well, well I, I was a fly on the wall <laughs> yeah you were a fly on the you were the fly on the wall as they say crazy. as they say the fly on the wall in the room you know <laughs> right Right. Um, but it's just kind of it's incredible, man. Two thousand two hundred and sixty three shows. And and something else to, that really is, is sort of mind boggling. The Ramones didn't really, you know, and again, I had read this a long time ago. And then when I got contact, you, I was like, you know what? You better make sure your homework is done. I went back. I reread through the whole book. I took all these notes. So it's very fresh in my mind. And the thing that kind of boggles my mind is that you know, um, the majority of those shows were really done in 20 years. 90 of those shows were done in the first two years. And then everything else happened after that. So, you know, it was, it really is 2,263 shows in 22 years, but it's even more condensed than that because there were only 90 shows in the first year. Kind of crazy. Okay. Okay. That's interesting. I don't know. It just kind of blew my mind statistics there yeah <laughs> yeah just i just you know i was pouring over the data and just sort of like uh just just blown away that that you know you kind of have to shave off two years and that i guess it's you know um if you look at it from from a big picture i know this if you not year by year this wouldn't make any sense but big picture wise it's like it's averaging 200 gigs a year you know I know you didn't do. I know it wasn't exactly 200 gigs a year. Well, yeah, they, yeah. They they were basically a touring band. You know, they couldn't yeah. sell they couldn't sell records, and they had a tour, and that's where they made the money touring merchandising. And that seems to be one of the the great themes of the Ramones story. We get to look at it from the big big picture. We're not looking at the Ramones story from 1993. We're not looking at it from 1984. We're not looking at it from 1997. We get to see it, you know, 20 years after the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. 
uh, at a time where, you know, and I've, I've said this several times, I actually got into a bunch of fights with some Beatles nerds over this, but I truly think that the Ramones are probably after the Beatles, one of the most influential bands of all time. I, I, well, that, well, that surprises me these days because people say Stones, Ramones, Beatles, you know. What's funny is that, you know, I, you know, I tried to bring that discussion up in a Beatles group and they're like, what are you talking about? The puzzle, puzzle, puzzle. I was like, look at all the similarities between the Ramones and the Beatles, of which there are many, if you really think first about of, it. First of all, the big <laughs> connection that's six degrees is why the name Ramones why? Of course, everybody should know this by now. Didi saw that Paul Ramon checked into hotel, right. and, uh, Paul McCarthy checked into the hotels under Paul Ramon, and he said, let's name ourselves the Ramones. So there's the Beatles connection. It's all six right. degrees. Right. But even the Beatles, when they were in Hamburg, were essentially like, the Ramones are essentially like the Beatles in Hamburg. You know, they're dressing in leather. You know, they're playing like like simple three chord rock and roll songs, 50s rock and roll songs. Right. I mean, there's there's a lot of compare. They both have work that was done by Phil Spector. That's something that people don't ever bring up when you think huh. about it. You know, let it be and in uh, a, a decade apart. Nonetheless, let it be and uh, end of the century, both done by Phil Spector. Kind of crazy. I get into I get into a little bit of arguments with some of the diehard Beatles guys who just can't they don't understand. They can't see the big picture of it all. Um, and I got to tell you, what, when did that start? When did, I, I guess it really started in South America. Would that be the correct, the, when, when you really started to see that Beatles-like fanaticism uh, across the world? No, well, I mean, the Ramones had big followings all over the world before uh, South America. South America happened to be the, one of the biggest places that they were. Right became very big there. You know, I mean, it's unbelievable. They got a real taste of what it's like to be a huge group down in South America. I mean, because they toured so much over and over again, they came back to countries over and over again. They built up huge uh, fan bases all over the world. So, uh, but uh, South America, Argentina, Brazil, there was one of the biggest uh, fan bases of all the countries, basically. What was it like to just be touring middle, middle America, like in the late seventies, middle America with the Ramones and, you know, what, like, I don't know, you, you allude to danger or, you know, just like, what was, what was that like at the time? The early years, um, late seventies. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the problem was people didn't understand what the Ramones were about. The booking agents didn't uh, understand what the Ramones were about at the time, you know? So we go into clubs and we'd start playing and the, these, we get very strange reactions from the audiences, basically, until they understood what, they, what the Ramones were doing. A lot of times the booking agents would put us on bills with uh, diff they didn't understand what the, the Ramones were about. So they put us on the, in front of Black Sabbath, in front, in front of Ted Nugent, in front of Toto, right. Right. Michael Oldfield. They didn't understand what the Ramones were about, you know? So it took a while to generate the whole thing with the people, the kids understood what was going on. You know, when we played small clubs, kids would come and see the Ramones and say, Hey, look, this is, we could do that. That's, that's not that hard. You know, that's a, that's a legacy of the Ramones. Basically. They went around to all the different, different cities. And the nooks then, and crannies. Yeah. Right? All the small cities and all over the world. And, and kids came on and saw them and said, you know, Hey, they can do that. They're doing that. We can do that. So all these bands give credit 
to the Ramones for, right. for starting. It's amazing. That's what happened. You know, that's the legacy of the Ramones, basically. It's something else. Let me ask you this question. This is an interesting question. Um, what? So at some point, there's like this sort of break. It's like a divergence. There's like a divergence in the in the genres. And I know maybe like it's kind of weird for you, you know, especially considering how you saw things. Maybe it's a little weird for you to think of things with labels and genres, but this idea of like, you have like the tree of what, you know, this music that's being labeled punk rock. And then all of a sudden, you know, um, Sid kills Nancy and, you know, uh, the Sex Pistols uh, combust and uh, all of a sudden punk has this, this negative, you know, like pejorative, like, like connotation you talked about in that chapter. And there's like a split. And you have you have the letter. There's the letter from Blondie uh, saying, like, you know, uh, we're not um, we don't identify as punk. We're not punk. And then all of a sudden they're doing like, you know, heart of glass and, and, and breaking through. And you have these things like new wave happening. And then you have on the other side, you have like all the hardcore bands forming and you have like hardcore punk. And then the Ramones just sort of kind of like. They kind of like stay in the middle. Were you cognizant of this? split happening at the time or is that really sort of a retrospective no 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 it's there it was there because the sex pistols kind of poisoned the whole thing what was yeah. going on uh we would we would go to different cities and i'd check into a hotel and and behind the desk it would say ramones be careful they're dangerous you know because <laughs> because the sex pistols were out there you know throwing up spitting anarchy right. blah 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 punk 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 and here the ramones were you know, grouped into punk rock. They didn't really like that name. They didn't want to be called punk rock. They want to be called rock and roll, basically, you know. Right. They hated the name punk rock. But they were grouped into that. That's a problem in the United States. They didn't get enough play on the radios because they, the, the radio stations say, oh, the sex pistols are going to come in, they're going to throw up, they're going to be crazy, they're going to be spit, blah, 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 you know. What, Ignore the Ramones. That's why they couldn't get on the radio in, in, the, in the States. That really held them back. That was a problem. Was it ever pitched to the Ramones of like, hey, would you guys call yourselves New Wave so you can sell no, some No, no, definitely not New <laughs> Definitely not New Wave. Just rock and roll. Just yeah. rock and roll, you know? Just the problem is that punk got associated with the Sex Pistols and all that crazy pin needle, you know, safety pins and all that crazy stuff. And, that wasn't the Ramones, you know? To go back to the touring thing for a minute, another thing that you guys encountered was that you would do a set, you do these sets that were lightning fast, you know, 30 minute set, 20 minute set, whatever, but you're contracted to play two hours of music and people are losing their, people are getting upset, you know, promoters or the, the, the owners and stuff. What was that, how was that solution how was that fixed? At some point, was it just like, hey, hey, heads up, we only do a 30-minute set, just so you're aware, no. don't know, or what do you do in those situations? <laughs> Initially, in the beginning, we played the short set, and then we go to these clubs like we were in Bremerton, Washington, you know, crazy. Right. You know, in the, in the early years, we played short sets, so we go into a small club in Washington, Bremerton, you know, a, a logging town with lumberjacks, and we play 30 minutes, and the promoter the club owner would come to me and said, that's not enough, you know? So <laughs> we played the set twice, but eventually- oh, they, you, you played the set twice, gotcha. Yeah, and in the beginning, but you know, over the years they added more songs, so it wasn't right. a problem, you know? But it uh, in, the, in the early years, it was a big problem. 
to go back to the Beatles one more time, interesting, in, interesting story my friend told me. You know, he said he met the Ramones, and I don't know what era this was. I don't know the year. But he said he walked up to uh, Joey Ramone. He was backstage or something. He said, hey, Joey, how come you guys don't ever cover the Beatles? And that Joey said something along the lines of like, you can't mess with perfection, man. You can't mess with perfection. Was there any, did that, was there ever, did they ever discuss uh, covering the Beatles or was there ever, that was there that kind of reverence for the Beatles within the band, even, uh, uh, you know, while they were together? No, I don't think that ever happened. You know, the, there's a story that uh, Johnny went to Shea Stadium when the Beatles yeah. played and he brought, he was a Rolling Stone fan. Yes. Yes. And he, he brought rocks and he threw it, so he wasn't. <laughs> terrifically a big fan of the, the Beatles that that never that's came out. That's pretty punk rock. That's that, pretty yeah. Punk yeah. Punk rock. <laughs> yeah, literally. Uh, punk throwing rocks. That's No, that, there was never discussed playing a Beatles song because they did that Acid Eaters, uh, which was all the covered songs, and they didn't, didn't right. really discuss playing a Beatles song. Let's go back for a second. I want to talk about the significance of a date uh, July 4th, 1976. In a, in a weird kind of way, again, with all this talk about the Beatles, it's like, you know, the, the, the Beatles and the Stones and all those bands got their start because, you know, you'd have this you had this uh, sort of shift where where all these all this music is coming to England. All the English kids are listening to music and then they're invading America in the 60s. And then, it, like, the weirdest thing happens. It's like a reverse of that where the Ramones go over to England and invade and basically do the same thing with with punk rock. Could you feel the the electricity in the air of that time? Like, did it really feel like something was about to explode, or what was that like? Like, what was what's the deal with that? The pro the thing with the England is they had a lot of music papers, NME, and all those Music Maker, and a lot of music magazines and papers. They're well ahead of the states. The states didn't have any stuff like that really, so they were very into music at the time. So when the Ramones came over they picked up on all the, the Ramones feel and stuff and all these groups and kids saw that. So that's why they, they became big in, in England than bigger in England than the United States at that time, you know, because of the music papers and the, and the, and the uh, radio station, the BBC played the, 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 uh, the early music, you know, that's what happened there. We spoke about this previously at like a little, I guess it was like uh, in, in some of our pre-talk when setting up this interview. Do you ever look back when you as a tour manager and think about the the technology that we have today and how it would have <laughs> changed the changed the way that you did your job? Of course. I mean, my God. I mean, GPS, cell phones, computers, laptops, and all that. I didn't. I didn't have to deal with any of that. Uh, unfortunately, you know, it wasn't around. You know, so. When I had a uh, route of uh, a tour, I'd go to AAA and get the maps of each city and like uh, Xerox the maps and <laughs> highlight the maps and hand them out to the crew and the the, the trucks and stuff. It was, they wouldn't have GPS and stuff like that. It would have been much easier, you know? Yeah. Oh, for sure. I mean, it's kind of what what's interesting to me is that it almost sounds like you have to be – it's almost like you have to be like like 20 more extra steps ahead of like, you know, the flow of the day because, you know, you didn't have 
information at your fingertips the way that you could have had information at your fingertips. Well, in the I, I, had to, I had to dig out the information that I needed from where I right. get it, which like getting maps in AAA or there was no cell phones at the time. But later on, I had a cell phone, but it wasn't right. as big as it is now. Yeah, you just uh, you, you deal with what what you can do, you know. And it's then, a lot easier now, I'll tell you that. <laughs> yeah. Oh my goodness, I can't even. I I had the brief experience. I did two tours with a band. I'm not a musician or anything, but I did two tours, and so I just like getting to see that sort of perspective of what it's like to be on a tour. I can't even imagine the. I, I can't even imagine what it turns into when you're on the road for like six months out of the year, and you know, just sort of every night. And, you know, uh, how sometimes it must blur. Does it all blur together for you? Or do you have, can you very specifically tell the difference between 1983 and 1986? You know what I mean? Well, like Right now it's a one big blur. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, we're talking about uh, 20 years, 2,200, over 2,200 shows, you know. So it's a blur. So I remember certain things, but uh, yeah, it's a lot of stuff behind me. Right. Right. It's, uh, I don't know, it's kind of uh, uh, insane that that it was able to stay together. And, you know, I, in back, it goes back and forth in the book because sometimes it's like, oh, Johnny is the reason that this keeps going. But then you look on the flip side and it's like you, and I guess maybe we're, in terms of like band dynamics and, and, and group dynamics. So are you and Johnny during this time, are you guys like a, a cohesive united front or is it more like because because I because then you have the stuff with like the pranks and all that stuff that was going on. So it's kind of like it, it kind of seems like one minute you guys are cohesive front and then the next minute it's like, oh, let's play a prank on Monty. So it's like, how does that work? Well, Johnny was basically like the general, the person uh, who set all the rules and stuff. Right. Uh, and um, uh, as far as like the pranks go. They realized that take the pranks out on me instead of each individual ones. Would there a fight? Say they would do a, a prank on each other. Then they ah, they do it on me. I could take it. So it took the pressure off them. You know that's one of the, the jobs of a tour manager, road manager. Take the diplomatic. Be you know take the the pranks. Take the pressure off the group. So I right. I realized that. That's fine. I realized that. As right. far as, you know, working, of course, I, you know, Johnny was the business guy. He, he was really, he knew what was going on in the business and I de dealt with him in those ways, you know, so it was good. It was good. This was a detail that I had forgotten. It kind of blew my mind that Ed Stasium played guitar from off stage sometimes. No, was no, no. That, that, that was, that was the, one of the roadies actually a few times was behind the amp to play some guitar parts and certain songs very very rarely it happened on a few songs that was matt loyla little matt the guitar roadie right he would be right. behind the dance very rarely stasium did do a lot of overdubs and stuff on the albums and stuff a great terrific producer and musician you know so he he was involved in doing some overdubs and stuff on the albums not during the live shows um, he in his one, there's some blurb in there where he talks about doing it from the side of the stage and then being asked to be a member of the band in 1978. And so I was just a little curious, like how would that have worked if if he had accepted? Would he have been? 
would, would there have been five members of the band or would it, they like, how did, how would that have worked? No, nah, <laughs> that, that would never have happened. Okay. Okay. <laughs> you know, the only other person that played on stage with the Ramones was Robbie Krieger from the doors. Oh, we, really? We, we oh, were in LA. Yeah. The, the, one of the cover songs on the acid eaters tour was yeah, take it the as it he actually came, we, we brought him on stage for that song. He came on stage and played with the Ramones. He's the only one person that actually played on stage with the Ramones guitar. Wow. That, well, besides the last show, right? This, or did anybody? Well, yeah. No, I don't know. Uh, uh, who? Tim Mar- didn't Tim did he play? I, they, they, okay, yeah, I'm not sure if he played, but he could. A oh, lot of people oh, came on stage. Sang. Yeah, he sang, and Eddie Vedder and Lemmy, and right. actually, Didi came on stage. and Yeah. Uh, but the only person to actually, you know, besides that show, to come on stage and play with the Ramones was uh, Robbie Krieger. That's amazing. You know, it's interesting though, to me that, and I know in the studio, uh, Johnny would let others, you know, come in and do some of the guitar work. And it just kind yeah. of, there was this, the one thing that I find very interesting about the Ramones and I see it, it's like, a, it's like a reoccurring theme for all the uh, bad blood or whatever, you know, uh, feuds and things going on. Um, two things stand out. One, um, there seems to be like, it, it seems like like the 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 instrument playing instruments. There seems to be no ego when it comes to playing instruments. At least you know the fact that Johnny al- would allow someone like you know to come in and and do guitar parts on the recordings or whatever. Kind of kind of blows me away, or it kind of seems in conflict with some of the other aspects of his personality. Um, and the other thing is that uh, is the way that both Tommy and Dee Dee leave the band, and then CJ and Marky come in. And there doesn't seem to be, at least from everything that I've read, I've read, and like I said, I read I Slept With Joey Ramone, I read Dee Dee's book, I read Marky's book, I read Johnny's book, these manicured, you know, biographies, whatever you want to call them. But there's never any talk about like, um, you know, or any kind of resentment about their replacement, like, like the replacement uh, has respect for the predecessor and the predecessor has respect for the replacement. I find that very like profound in, in the Ramones uh, family. Oh, well, they, know. they realized when, when somebody had to leave, they had to replace them. Right. And they found a good replacement and uh, it worked out very well. Most, you know, all the time, basically, you know, do you think that part of the secret of the Ramones sound came from the fact that Tommy was a guitar player and just trying to play drums? Absolutely. I mean, Tommy really didn't want to be in the band at the time. He wanted right. to produce them and manage them. So the whole story goes, you know, there were three pieces, Joey's on drums and Dee was singing, playing bass. Right. Then he pulls Joey off the drums and they couldn't, they try to find a drummer. At the time. They was very raw at the beginning. If you look at the early shows of the Ramones, they're so it's unbelievably raw, you know. Right. So, so no, no drummers could understand what, what they were doing. But Tommy, he was a great musician, you know. He didn't play – he wasn't a drummer. He's a guitar player, but he played a lot of – you know, he could play instruments, you know. So he sat it down and kind of developed that whole style. And right. made that whole style up. So when, when Marky came in, he had to sit down with Marky and, sit and show him, you know, this is the way we do it. And it took a little time. Marky got it. Marky being a great drummer, you know, from Dust and Richard Hell and all that stuff and Voidoids and stuff. Great drummer. But he had to, uh, you know, accommodate into the Ramones. 
and then and Tommy got him into it, you know, showing him there, the style, his style. Because Tommy just made up that style, being a guitar player. So it's very interesting because I've heard. I think I've, I don't know if Marky said it. Someone said it about how like you know uh, the wrist doing the wrist thing or the the hi hats or whatever that it, that it really tires you out. It kind of blows my mind that someone who doesn't play drums would you know sort of go to that as their style and then like and also not tire when they're doing it do you think that might have had to do with the fact that tommy played lighter while those guys were playing heavier you know kind of creating like a like a dynamic contrast in a way but yeah something like that it's he just kind of developed the whole thing with the ramones at the time yeah being a, a, a guitar player and just uh trying to play drums with them because as I said, when they were uh, auditioning drummers, none of the drummers gonna, in the early years understand what the Ramones were doing, you know? Right. So right. he developed that whole style. Wow. Fit in right with the group, you know? And um, they, they said, why, why don't you join the group? And he said, okay, I'll join the group. What about, um, and what about the down picking that Johnny is doing? Um, how does- Down strokes? Yeah, how does that, um, how does that contribute to yeah? How does that contribute to the sound? Everybody always makes a big deal about this. I, I'm not a guitar player. What's what's such a big deal about doing like just all downstrokes? Why is that so difficult? So well, try try it for a while for like thirty minutes, know. forty minutes. See how you know if I'm doing. Am I doing it right? Like, see how you. Yeah, it's all downs. Bum, 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 bum. It's all downstroke. Yeah, you're still bringing your hand up. So when you're strumming up and down, is no, it's, no, it's only down, 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 downstroke. So, no, 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 no. So down. it's kind of like turning your wrist. You're going. Yeah, like... yeah you're, you're hitting downstroke. It's 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 wow. hard to do. I mean, you know, I, it, you know, most guitar players don't do that all the time. They play lead guitars and they play rhythm and the da downstrokes. Not that much, but that was the whole thing with the Ramones. And Johnny just wanted to do that the whole set, you know? So right. it became his style. Right. Oh, and a lot of people afterwards. And it's funny, you could tell there's this band right now. They're called Dark Thoughts, very Ramones-esque from Philadelphia. And I guess that guy is doing all down picks too. And I uh, apparently he's he's regaled for it. I don't know. Um what about the okay here's here's another interesting insight that I when I was rereading this and it kind of blew me away. Uh so so they leave Sire Records and they go to Radioactive. And um CJ brings up uh what's that label Epitaph Records uh the uh the guys from uh Bad Religion. Uh they they he had a record label. Do you think that the Ramones would have had more even more longevity if they had not gone to Radioactive? You think they would have kept on, or that really was inconsequential? No, no. I mean, they, 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 they were, on, they, they split up. You know, when they were on radioactive, you know, so yeah, that didn't really affect it because they just at the time they just wanted to end it. You know, Johnny wanted to end it, and Joey's wanted to end it at the time. It did. It wasn't a record company thing. Now, I'm sure you've read Johnny's book. Johnny talks about his goal of getting to a million dollars. He's like, once I have a million dollars, I'm going to quit yeah. playing music. Is that, is that kind of like, do you think that's an exaggeration or is that like kind of uh, the, the truth to that story? It's a partial truth there. He did want to have, he, he, he had a goal in, in mind. Yeah. And uh, when he moved from New York to L.A., he had that goal. Yeah. 
And uh, yeah, that was part of it. Yeah, sure. Back then, a million dollars was worth a lot more than a million dollars now. So, right. <laughs> so well, he mentioned at the end of his book, I believe it's at the end of his book. Don't quote me on this. And I'm sure you <laughs> certainly know better than me. Um, so so the, they play the last show and then Brazil calls up and is like, or somewhere. Yeah. Argentina, Argentina, Argentina. Sorry, Argentina is like, yo. Was it, it was was it it was a million dollar guarantee for them to go down? There was a there. huge there was a huge guarantee to go down there, and at the time Joey wasn't in good shape and right, Johnny said right. he wanted to quit, so they said, "Well, that's it." You know, Marky was all upset about it, you know, because he could use the money and CJ could have used the money, but Marky particularly was upset about it. Right. But that they they said they passed on the whole thing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Joey um, was needed the rest. You know, well, I think that's kind of I I read his thing just about wanting to do something for himself and sort of showing up for himself. And I think I, it, it sounds like that was more that's what really what played into that decision. You know, it's not just about it's it wasn't about money for Joey. You know, it was about, no. you know, focusing on, you know, himself. Um, when CJ came into the band, here's something that I found very interesting. I need a little bit more elaboration on this. CJ comes into the band. He's talking about the process of, of the Ramones recording. And he says that he teaches the demos to Johnny and Marky. So what demos are the, are these demos that are coming from Dee Dee? Who's still writing from the band external? Like what, where, who are, if the, if the Ramones are writing the songs, then obviously they are, <laughs> why would they need to teach the demos to Johnny and Marky? I don't get that. Well, that was a good thing when Dee Dee left the band. Everybody said, well, that's the end of the Ramones, blah, blah, blah. You know, legacy member of the Ramones, he's leaving. Right. But Dee Dee realized that he could still write songs and make money for the Ramones. So that was a beautiful part about it. They had the great songwriting of Dee Dee and the young CJ in Dee Dee's part in the band. So the band had to kind of suck in their stomachs to keep up with CJ, and they had the right. great songs of Dee Dee. Yeah, that's what happened. Uh, uh, CJ did get a lot of demos and then learned them, and that's what happened there at the, at that time. So those were coming from Dee Dee, the demos that a lot, a lot of them. Yeah, some of them. Okay, certain songs. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I was trying to, I was trying to, um, I was trying to figure that out. Another interesting thing about your book that is never talked about in any of the other books, I find. Um, is, you know, obviously there was this big thing that happened in the Ramones. One of the biggest rifts in the Ramones is when, you know, uh, Johnny and Joey basically have a falling, a gradual falling out, right? It wasn't like, it wasn't like a, a specific day where the, the, the earth shook. It was just a, a long gradual process that eventually uh, really culminated with, you know, Linda going from Joey to Johnny. Um but yeah. what's interesting is, and then can you talk about first, it's mentioned in the book, you were the intermediary between these two guys. What exact, how does that work? What, what exactly is, because they, they're like in the same van. So is, he, is it literally Joey is going, hey, Monty, tell Johnny, and Johnny can hear this stuff, but he's still saying it to you for you to say it to Johnny. No, 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 no. I was all <laughs> overblown, all overblown. It was all over-exaggerated. They talk to each other, for God's sakes, you know, not a lot. The thing is, they didn't socialize after the shows, socialize okay. 
they had they talk of course they had to get together and get the sets I, together they had to right. agree on what songs to play they had to get on stage together it wasn't exactly as horrible as people make it it got overblown over the years basically you know right. there was never a point where John, joey would say hey tell johnny blah blah that never happened never happened no <laughs> no 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 that's all that's a myth over the years they right. just didn't they didn't socialize or talk a lot in the van you know you know they'd sit in the van and have their own little walkmans and music and right. do their own things and not talk but you know initially i mean they had to talk about what songs to play how on the sets right. and the and the, right. the albums and get on stage. So, you know, there was there was communication there. It just wasn't a huge amount of communication. It was right. there was tension there, but they kept it together because they realized they realized that they didn't want to split up because the the whole Ramones thing, the music going on stage, getting the feedback from the crowd, that's amazing stuff. They didn't want to give that up. Are you you play music? Uh, you say I'm music. Uh, I am music adjacent. For me, music is my baseball. You know okay. what I mean? Like, I don't uh, follow sports, but but you, you know. you're never on stage playing or anything like that, right? I apart from jumping up at CBGBs and uh -huh. singing, well, I want to be, be your dog with my friend in my friend's band one time. <laughs> no, from you know, I'm, <laughs> I, my my history goes back. I was in bands. I was have two right. albums on. Uh, yeah, you were brother reprise. I toured with the with uh, thirty days out, nineteen seventy one, right. seventy two. We have two albums. Played, what, was, what was it like playing with the Beach Boys, man? Uh, you know, uh, amazing. What I'm trying to point out here is going on stage as a musician. Oh, okay. And yes. when you're playing, the feedback of the audience, you're getting high if you're right. doing it right and well. You know what I mean? Right. So I, I felt that. I felt what it was like. You know. So they also felt that, and they were getting go on stage and the hormones. Huge, you know, wow, boom, boom, huge audiences. You know, sometimes it's like three, thirty thousand, forty thousand people like feeding back. You know, that's a problem with a lot of musicians when they come off stage. They want to keep that high going, so they go to drugs. Unfortunately, you know, right. So they realize that keep it together, don't fight, don't hit each other, don't, you know, just don't talk don't socialize don't, don't talk a lot don't socialize after the shows you know whatever but keep the whole ramones music together that's why they stayed together for 20 years over 20 years how many marriages last that long you know right right and what's kind of interesting is that you know it's funny that you say it like that too because it's almost like it makes like all the stuff that did happen was almost like I guess it was more passive aggressive or it was more like you know subtle it wasn't it wasn't just in your face on the surface it was like uh just sort of They're bubbling under bubbling under bubbling under right i mean you know um, joey was upset about the whole thing it was a hard thing but that happened right. in, in music a lot you know a lot of girlfriends <laughs> what is eric clapton stole somebody with you know blah 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 you know there's a lot of stuff in the music business that people steal their girlfriends you know it's, it's nothing new really so well, what I found, what I, what really blew me away, though, that I had forgotten about when I was reading the book was that there are these moments where Johnny, and he never says this in his own book. He doesn't say it in his own book at all. Um, and, you know, it's not talked about Legs McNeil and, and Mickey don't talk about it, where where Johnny says, admits to being like, you know, every once in a while I would try and say hello or what's up or socialize 
and was always sort of, you know, you know, rebuffed, rebuked, whatever, you know, just sort of like, you know, just not, not wanting anything to, you know, keeping the, or start off the tour with the best intention, that kind of thing. And uh, it just kind of blew me away because I had, again, th- there's like this, there's like this thing about like, oh, they just never talked ever again. And that's it. No, 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 Never to put out all those albums, you know, and got right. on stage for God's sake. They got to talk about what songs to play and all that stuff, you know? So, uh, yeah, it was a bit uh, rough there dealing with it. I mean, Johnny did kind of, after he got together with Linda, kind of kept her away, you know? Right, not, right. Not, she was not there. He, she would. He wouldn't have her come to the shows to show her face. She would. He would keep her out at the, the soundboard, away from everything. You know, away from it. You know, out of See, Joey, I, out of Joey's sight, basically. See, you know? I always wondered is if if Johnny is like trying to like socialize and talk with Joey in a, in a non business sense, is that Johnny's sort of because Johnny seems like the kind of guy who would never apologize for anything. There wasn't a lot of that. Yeah, there wasn't a lot of that. Uh, social, him wanting to socialize with Joey. No. Yeah. No, definitely not. Um, and then the, there's something that Johnny said after Joey died that kind of uh, also took me aback. He says, "At quote, I'm not doing anything without him. I feel that was it. He was my partner, me and him. I miss that. In that, even though he didn't, you know, he stayed away at the at the very end of Joey's life. That clearly." Johnny must have been incredibly affected by uh, uh, Joey passing away. Which, sure, he was affected yeah. by it, but he wouldn't go see him in the hospital. He wouldn't go right. talk to him. Right. But he was, of course, I mean, you know, for God's sakes, uh, it was Johnny and Joey basically for 20 years, right. 22 years. So right. he realized that was a part of history. Yeah, he he was, he was that, that, and it just I just thought that was interesting because he says in, the, in your book, he goes, well, you know, as long as Joey was still there, since him and Joey had been there from the beginning, as long as Joey's around, maybe one day we'll do another song again or one day we'll do something. But then when that Joey had died, he was hit with this yeah. realized that, that is it. That is the end of everything. And yeah, you can replace the drummers, the bass players, not Joey. No, most certainly not. It's funny. Uh, you know, I've been trying to like figure out there's like a formula almost like like when does a band stop becoming a band? And it's like, oh, well, you need to have some founding members. You need to have whoever the front man is. You need to have the, the, the primary singer-songwriter. You lose all or any one of these elements, then the band is not really the thing that it was. But what's interesting, what's unique about the Ramones is that every single lineup of the Ramones is a super valid, legitimate entity because even after you know, the, uh, one of the primary songwriters leaves – He's still contributing songs to the band. That's what happened. That's what the the great part about when Dee Dee left, which it's just, when, it's just when he left, I said, "My God, you know, that's the end. You know, what's going to happen? You know, yeah, right. he's a major factor." But he stayed. He realized that he was making money and writing songs for them, and they they said, "Great, let's we'll use your songs. We have a young Dee Dee and CJ. You know, so right. it worked. It worked out very well." Do you think that if Bruce Springsteen had given Hungry Heart to the Ramones, <laughs> that it would have been a number one hit? <laughs> how how big a hit was with the Patti Smith song? Was it a big hit? I know. Where did it go on the charts? What's the Patti Smith song? Um, because of Night. 
Because the night, uh, whatever that song. She, was he that, that was written by Bruce Springsteen? Yes, yes. He wrote it for her. Oh. He wrote it and then gave it to Patty Smith, and she did I'd it. Forgive, forgive my ignorance, Monty. Yeah. I'm not familiar. I'm yeah. not familiar. Was it, was it a big song for her or was it not? I, I don't know. you got to look oh. that one up. But okay. it did help. It did help. Right, right. An interesting story. I'll, I'll tell you the story on that. So we're playing Asbury Park, a small club really small club there. And uh, I put the Ramones on stage and I go back to the bar and sitting at the bar was Bruce Springsteen. This is early years. He was fairly well known at the time in Asbury Park. I figured out, well, he'll see two songs and leave, you know, (laughs) know, forget it. So he stayed for the set. I walked up to him and said, Hey, you want to come backstage and meet the Ramones? Yeah, I love them. Let's do it. You know? So I brought him, I brought him backstage, you know, (laughs) and he, he comes back and Joey says, Hey, you wrote this song for Patty Smith. Why don't you write a song for us? He said, Okay. So he wrote Hungry Heart. So crazy. for the Ramones, and but his manager wouldn't let him give it to the Ramones. The Ramones would have killed it too, man. That would have well, been their yeah, number one hit. Yeah, that would been something. So you know, and, and he does like Ramones songs periodically in his uh live state. The, the Ramones influenced everybody, Bruce Springsteen, for God's sakes, yeah. you know. He, he loves That's why I fight these guys. That's why I fight all these Beatles nerds. And I just say Beatles nerds. You don't know what you're talking about. The, the the Ramones, maybe not at the time, but you have you don't realize the impact that this band had on the world on music. They really did. They it just it, it's just insane. I want to I want to jump now to the way you structured your book. Who's was that your idea? Was that Frank's idea? How did you come up with the idea? Because the thing that I love about your book, instead of just trying to tell one long history, you're you're like, okay, we got to talk about the Marky uh, the the drummers. You know the the way the rotating drummers. We got to talk about the Johnny and Joey. We have to have a thing about Johnny and Joey. The way that you break it up, and the way you talk about the production of the show. And, you know, all these, because I look at, you know, I look at how many YouTube videos of the Ramones and I'm like, I'm just, it looks like the Ramones are on the stage and they're doing their set and they got a backdrop, big deal. But the way you talk about the minutia of, well, we has to be, you know, 13 feet back. We want it to, you know, like all these different elements that sort of uh, 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 added to the show. It just kind of blows me away. What, where, is, where did the inspiration for these chapters, breaking up the chapters come well, from? The, the chapters went cr- chronologically, basically, you know different from me in the beginning how i got involved in ramones and then the different groups over the years because there was eight different ramones eight eight ramones people don't realize that in the band right you know that's why when when i was doing the cover for my book i was saying what am i going to put on the cover you know the cover of the book usually has a picture of the band but there were eight there was like four or five different compilations of the band so what am i going to do so I figured let's do a cartoon. John Holmes from Punk Magazine, right? Drew me in the van with all the eight Ramones, so that that worked out very well. You know, it was great. Um, yeah, chronologically, I did the book chronal chrono uh, over the years. You know what what right. happened? But what's there. interesting is that you devoted a chapter. What I it is still in order of how things happen. But what's interesting is the way that you know instead of like instead of the repetitive nature of being like. And then another drummer came into the picture. It's like you just had a chapter devoted to drummers. You just had a chat. I just thought that was so, it was a great way to do it. It just really, 
uh, allowed you to focus. It didn't, it didn't, it wasn't confusing. It really helped you to focus on what was kind of happening in, in, uh, uh, you know, each aspect of what makes up the Ramones. Well, basically I try to talk about each individual band at the time, the four members at the time. Right. And also what I'd like to do is in the book is give an idea to people what it's like behind the band. You know, you go to a show, you see a band on stage, you don't realize what's behind the band. There's a sound man. There's a guitar roadie. There's a drum roadie. There's a light guy. If all these guys are not doing their jobs, the band's not going to look good. You know, the band's not going to sound good. So I kind of, being a tour manager, road manager, I wanted to bring up What's behind it? There's a foundation under the band. Right. The crew. So I kind of like build in, that into the book. When I show the, you know, my uh, stage setups and the, the riders and all that, the build up, and I talk to the crew, the crew also. People got to realize I, and I, don't, I only had to deal with a crazy band. I had to deal with a crazy crew. Right. Right. Double, double the craziness I had to deal with. So that's what I kind of wanted to bring up in my book. The underlying yeah. thing, what's going on under the band. Yeah. Yeah. It's Which, great, man. Yeah. Cause they don't talk about that. Because in Didi's book, Didi's like, oh yeah, that my bass guitar is just there and I'm ready to play. Like there's no <laughs> like he just doesn't like he doesn't have any understanding. Like and and you know, it's just it's just sort of like nobody's really thinking about these mechanics that allow this, you know, band that's full of people that have either just just some of which are dysfunctional, but yet somehow are propelled through the tour dates to get through to the end and make it home in one piece. And there's this underlying machine that does that in the Ramones. And it's just important. It was important to highlight. I'm glad I got to see that in the. Yeah, that's what I tried to bring up the, the, the crew and on, on the, the foundation under the band. People don't realize that, you know, um, this was also something that I had forgotten about. So, so Tommy, I know Tommy co-produced Road to Ruin, but I didn't realize, and I guess it makes sense because he's he's exiting the band. They're bringing in Marky. Marky's going to record the drums for the songs. But Tommy, I mean, I guess Tommy had written or was a part of the writing process or part of the original, you know, Ramones element that brought those that batch of songs uh, together. So what was Tommy, from what you remember, what was Tommy's contribute contribution to the Road to Ruin songs? Was he like... Was he was he a writer on those songs? Yeah, he was involved in a lot of the writing and stuff and in in, in the yeah. songs. Initially, uh, the first couple albums, they all decided to give credit to just the Ramones. You know, there was no right. individual songwriting. Later on, the individual members of the band said, "Hey, look, you know, I wrote this, I wrote that." So. If you look look at the later albums, they tell you who wrote the songs, you know? In the early years, I mean, Tommy, Tommy is the architect of the Ramones. I right. Mean, he was just like, he put the whole thing together. Yeah. Brilliant, brilliant idea. He was the yeah, he, he sure. was the manager. He was the, the agent. He got out and tried to get people to come into the shows and and put the whole thing together. People don't give enough credit to Tommy, you know? Of course, Tommy yeah. and I, I mean, I grew up with Tommy. I went to junior high school with Tommy. Right. I went to high school with Tommy. I played in bands with Tommy, several different right. bands, right. Triad, Butch, and et cetera. So he was my best friend for over 50 years. So, And he was really the architect of the Ramones. And people really don't give him enough credit 
what he did with the Ramones, you know? Yeah. Okay. So, you know, uh, some of you guys are Jewish. And, and when I say Jewish, I don't mean religiously Jewish. I mean, you guys are like New York Jewish, you know, bagel and locks Jewish or whatever. Um, what can you give me some context as someone who was not around there, but, you know, someone I being a Ramones fan, one of my favorite songs is, you know, today, your love tomorrow, the world, despite its subject <laughs> matter, which has always been like a conflicting thing for me being, you know, a, a Jew in, in some way, shape or form. What was your perception of that? What was Tommy's perception of that? Cause here's to Tommy's drumming to the song. I understand where I, it's been explained to me where Didi's sort of like, like point of view was, you know, when he was writing it. But like, how does all that mesh? How did that work? You know, in in the well, band? there's a famous story about Seymour said, "Don't you can't say Nazi Tatsi. Take that out." You know, right? You know, Seymour Stein, Jew, whatever. They didn't. They they, they said forget about it. He, they left it in, but he was very upset about that. It didn't bother them, Tommy, at all. It was just a song, you know. It wasn't really they were saying do it, you know, being become a Nazi or whatever. Right, right. Of but course. It, it, it kind of bothered me a little talk, you know, them singing about Nazis, you know. Well, what's but, interesting, uh, but, but, you know, it was a song. It's like uh, reading right. a, a fiction, you know. That's all. Right, right. And then, and then Didi was, you know, he was brought up in. Germany on you know right. so he's and Johnny uh, did uh, you know he was kind of like uh, leaning towards when we went to Argentina they would go out try to find like uh, little Hitler statues and stuff like that he, he was <laughs> you know he was leaning towards that that area there which didn't it kind of bothered me a bit you know so was because you know I've like I said I've read these other books and that element. Like the fact that Tommy's parents were like, you know, Holocaust survivors or whatever, and that Tommy, you know, I don't know. So I've seen, I've heard other writers sort of take a lot of what you would call uh, license with, you know, how certain people felt. And I'm just kind of like, did they hear this from Tommy? No. Was it actually never, never felt about this stuff? No, no. It never really he never brought it up. He just realized it was a song, get it out of the way, do right. it. He realized where Dita was coming from. It fit into the song. Seymour said, don't say it, but they said, we're doing it anyhow. So it, it got by, and then that's, uh, it, it's just part of the song now, and you know. <laughs> right. Does it bother um, you? Well, that's why I was asking you about it, because I kind of like, you know, it's funny, because like, as I said, Today Your Love, Tomorrow Your World, The World, is like pretty much one of my favorite Ramon songs. And, you know, I am a Jew, whether I'm a, I'm, I'm, I consider myself, I identify as a Larry David Jew. That's the type of Jew I am. You know, I'm like a, 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 a bagel New York Jew. That's what I am. Uh, culturally Jewish, I guess you would say. Um, yeah, that's but, me too. Right. So, but, you know, it's like, but then I'm like, you know, listening to like Today or Love, Tomorrow the World, and I'm like, I like, I can't sing the lyrics to that song. I just can't do it. I just can't like. I just can't what? get down. You, with can, it. you can say I'm Nazi Tatsi. Fight, fight yeah, for the just, you know, land. I don't know, man. I just it's fight like for it's, the it's, land. it just is. Uh, it's a little. It's 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 hard. It's, it doesn't. It's, it's yeah, very conflicted. Yeah. It's very conflicting. For yeah, me. yeah, yeah. Skip that um, part. <laughs> but, but you know, it's just I don't know. It's just that's that's what's so fascinating to me about the Ramones is that like half the band is you know Jewish or comes from you know uh, uh, Jewish you know descended from Jews. 
And yet doing material like this, it's just a very, in, it's just interesting, man. It's like crazy. It's like, well, it's, it's half know. the band. Yeah. So the other half uh, thought that different, differently. <laughs> yeah. No, it never, it never really came up for Tommy or all the, the only thing, as I said, Seymour didn't want him to do it, you know, and right. he tried to stop them, but it, it didn't work out. It, they did it anyhow. So we know what your place is with the Ramones. Uh, and I mean, I, the other person that you hear constantly, again, if you want to, <laughs> if you want to uh, sort of like make this Beatles analogy, you're like the Neil Aspinall. I don't know if you know who he is. He's like, you know, he was, a, he was the road manager for the Beatles, road uh, tour manager for the Beatles. Wow. And like the, he was always in the room and always, you know, saw the apps. He was absolutely the inner, the inner, most innermost circle the way you were. And then you, the other guy was this guy, uh, Mal Evans. And I guess I kind of think of Arturo Vega as like yeah. that. What was Arturo? Oh, wow. You know, he, he, he was a main influence in the band. He was there from the I beginning. Mean. Yeah. That's what I the mean. End. And if, in the, in right, the circle right now, if, if he was still alive, we would be the only ones there from the beginning to the end right. he's gone so i'm the only one left that was there from the beginning of the ramones to the end of the ramones yeah he was a huge ramones fan and uh a big influence and of course the logo and the lighting and uh the way he he was there from the beginning a big fan always loved the band and in my uh, the bonus edition of the book i show yeah. a picture of his he had tattooed on his back a full the whole logo, the Ramones oh, logo, really? a whole back of his of Arturo had he tattooed the Ramones logo. So he's he, that's dedication, right? Right. Um, this is interesting too. Uh, this is another interesting uh, fact that I kind of wanted to ask you about. Um, there is some brief mention of sort of like you know DD and like his uh, his you know, the, 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 some of the things that DD would uh, get involved in. And I was just curious to know it may, what, what your opinion on this is. And again, if, if this is uh, inappropriate, you, you just let me know. I'll cut it right out. Um, did, did DD use sex as leverage in your opinion? Not that I saw. And what I mean by that is that like, you know, I'm reading through your book again. I'm like reminded of like all the stuff with like the Steins and Danny Fields and stuff. And so I'm wondering if like, was, was that like, you know, Dee Dee's way of kind of like, you know, sort of like getting in with like people that had like important things to, you know, making important decisions and stuff. Do you know what I mean? Like when I say that? A possibility, but I tell you the truth, I didn't wasn't involved in that. I didn't see any of that personally. Right. Personally, right? No, right. No. Um, let me ask you this: first gig as a trio, I was that was without Tommy. Tommy was not in the very was not playing at the very first show. No, the only I mean, they did a. Uh, they did a trio thing, but it wasn't really a gig or something. I don't remember them playing. It must, might have been at a studio they played briefly. At, you know? at the club. At the club that you that you and Tommy put no, together. No, it wasn't a club. It was a, it was a rehearsal studio. recording studio right, called right, Performance right. Studios on 23rd Street, 23 East, 23rd. Right. Um, 
I'm on 23 East 20th Street. I'm sorry. Called so Performance says- Studio. That's how they got together. Tommy brought them in as as a trio. He he said, right. come in. To, and he wanted to work with them, just producing them and managing them. But he realized that the the, th- the trio wasn't working out because Dee Dee couldn't sing and play bass. But he heard right. Joey had a good voice. So he pulled Joey off the drums. Joey had a great voice. That's how they first came into the studio at the time. They, I don't right. think they ever played a show as a trio that I remember, you know. Oh, okay. I was just looking at March 30th, 1974. Mm-hmm. It says performance studio as a trio. So I was kind well, of... They might have done a, the rehearsal or something. I can't remember remember that. Gotcha. Gotcha. So, I mean, I mean, e- either way, they're, they're not really... It's not really the band until Tommy comes in there anyway, right? So yeah, it doesn't, be, yeah, yeah, right? yeah. And then what else is I, f- I find very interesting is that you guys started to bring a PA with you when you were going to all those sort of like, you know, smaller clubs to like, you know, sort of improve the sound. Uh, what was behind that decision? Well, in the, in the early years of club dates and stuff, clubs had crappy PAs. It was awful. Yeah. So they, the band realized that if they wanted to sound good, we better bring in our own PA. So that's what they invested initially early on was in a PA system. So we schlepped around a huge PA system with us in the early years of the clubs. Eventually, all the clubs, you know, over the years, realized they had to have a better PA, so they got better PAs. So it wasn't a big problem. But in the early years, we brought in our own sound. Right. It's right. very important. They don't realize that people don't realize that the Ramones really worked on their sound. It wasn't just like yeah. play three three chords, bum bum blum, and they, they, sure. they didn't know what they didn't know what they were doing. No, they re, they worked very hard at their sound. They rehearsed a lot. Let me ask you this. All right, so everybody, you know, there's always this. Oh, the Ramones didn't change. The Ramones didn't change. The Ramones didn't change. Blah blah blah. blah. But what is interesting is Joey's voice evolves over the years and in a wonderful way i might add i love later joey's voice as much as i love early joey's voice like the way he sort of changed his his singing style what was that a conscious decision how did that yes yes he worked on it he actually later years he got to vocal coaches and stuff he worked he went to vocal coaches and before each show he'd go into another room and warm up with a warm-up tape and stuff he really worked on his vocals quite a bit wow wow and then they they all they all from the beginning they were so raw it was painful but they worked on it worked on it worked on it worked on it so over the years they became very proficient you know because they worked on it very hard as 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 joey did as now, a vocal coach, what about like doing the set, doing the set before they actually got on and played? They really did that every single time. Yeah, it, wasn't, it wasn't the whole set. They would warm up. They play a bunch of songs. Okay. We we have a little practice amp, a practice mm-hmm. drum pad. They would come into the uh, backstage. They would warm up, and Joey would go, go into another room and sing and do his vocal exercises. They would warm up with playing. Four or five different songs, not the whole set, not the whole set, but four or five different songs, you know, just to warm up, get going, wow. you know. Wow. I, I I always thought it was the full set, and I was like, no, what they do a whole set before they? Would... I mean, it would just be like, you know, it just that would that would take a long time. Yeah, uh, no, no, also, no. what's interesting is the need this under this idea of barriers. 
there was a need for barriers, barricades. Of course, but you know, in the early years, we didn't realize uh, what was going on out there. Uh, It was kind of crazy with the mosh pits and stuff. People would want to get up on stage, you know, and jump off the stage. Johnny and he hated that. He he says it's our show. I don't want anybody else on stage. So I had to make sure on the rider and talk to all the promoters and the the, uh, people that worked in the clubs. We need a barrier and security in front of the barrier to keep the people off the stage. That was a big problem in the early years because they they didn't realize that they needed strong barriers. And at certain places, the barriers weren't very strong. The kids would push up against it and break the barriers. It it was a big problem in, in the beginning, you know? And then, then, then the mosh pits and all that craziness going on. The uh, club owners and the promoters come back to me and says, "What's going on? Um, stop the show! It's they're killing each other." I said, "No, that's just what they want to do. They want to jump around and you know bump into each other and slam dancing, all slam dancing, stage jumping, all that. It's a big problem. I had to deal with that. You know, that's why we needed good barriers and good security in front of the barriers." Do you, um, do you, I mean, I don't know if you know details and again, not asking for details here, but the, uh, do you think that the Ramones made more money selling the merch? Yes. And they did, uh, selling records. Yes. Wow. I mean, God, their first album just went gold like a couple of years ago. Wow. After like 40 years or something, for God's sake. Right. (laughs) Took long enough. Well, that's why that over the years they kept on wanting to change the producers, you know? I mean, right. Tommy and Sid, uh, Ed, and then, you know, then they said, let's get some a producer to give us a hit. Yeah, Phil Spector, John Bavar, Graham Goulman. You know, let's get somebody to give us a hit. Let's sell some records. They couldn't get that early. Now, I mean, they get, you know, they're selling records, you know? Right. And it's just crazy that, and this is the other thing that's so, insane is that like to, these are four people to you and more than anybody i would say you see them as human beings more than anybody else because you saw the absolute you saw the depths of all of their humanity from start to finish but to someone like me or just the fans that have come since these these guys they're, they're they've all passed away they're like saints now they're like they're like these rock and roll sort of saints in the way that they're like they're more than human beings at this point they're just like they're like these things, the Ramones, it's like this entity. And you talked about in, at the very end, how like, you know, um, you know, Joey passed away and Johnny thinks, oh, you know, that's just one less say in the band. But now the Ramones are no longer, it's not a band, it's a corporation. It's like this, like, you know, it, it's this thing that's greater than its human parts. And it is, it is a corporation now owned by Linda which is Johnny's wife and uh, right. Mickey Lee, Joey's brother. It's a corporation. And that's huge now. I mean, it's so big now. I'll say this for the thousandth time. If the Ramones were this big when I was working for them, I would have gotten a big raise. Yeah. I mean, it's now the Stones, Ramones, Beatles, in the same breath. They're on TV yeah. commercials. They couldn't get on TV commercials. They couldn't get on movie soundtracks. It's, you know, uh, well, jock rock albums. You got to... Well, we used to go to games and sports events. Hey, ho, let's go. It's on Jack yeah. Rock. Uh, unbelievable. 
Did that start when Je- was Johnny alive to see that the hey ho let's go? He, I think he saw a little bit of that. Yes, yes. That must have that must have curled his toes. To oh yeah, he loved that. Yankee he loved Stadium, it. Yeah. right? He's a Yankees fan. I bet. I, I really bet. If you look um, on the the cover of the book, he's wearing a Yankees T-shirt. Yes, yes. <laughs> I, I see that. I see that right here. Uh, the cover's done by the, uh, John Holstrom, who great John Holstrom. Yeah, yes, yes. Yeah, Road to Ruin. Yes, I was very lucky to get him to do the cover. You know, so nice. Great, great guy. I interviewed him many, many years ago. Great guy. Um, You have what I found really profound in your book: the way that you sort of you 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 bring you illuminate um, Joey's OCD, and it's just interesting how like you were struggling with a thing that didn't have a name at the time. Yeah, and my question to you about that is once it had a name, once it was like had a label, did that make it easier to sort of understand what was going on with him? Well, yeah. I mean, in the, in the beginning, we didn't know what was happening. It wasn't named. There wasn't a fact. There wasn't a, a disease or not disease, but a condition, you know? Right. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. It was difficult in the beginning. Once it, they realized what it was and he got some medicine for it trying to help them a bit, but he still had a, a bad case of it. Yeah. Early years was bad. We didn't know what the heck was going on. You know, later on, they tried, they understood it and tried to deal with it. It was still difficult to deal with. You know, that's why I felt when I wrote the book, I couldn't really write it when he was still around. So I kind right. of waited, you know, so when he passed away, I kind of was able to, bring it out of course uh, mickey brings it out in his book quite a bit so it's out yes there. he does that right he does he does talk about it quite a bit in his book as well and that's the other interesting thing that i was kind of curious about your book kind of coincides with like you know you know three out of the four ramones have passed and then you know your book comes out was that a conscious decision of like if i'm going because some of the things you talk about are in your book are you know are definitely you know, harder to grasp or, you know, just sort of like really, you know, truthful about like those dudes and, you know, stuff like stuff about Johnny for sure. Um, is, was that like a conscious decision of like, I'm going to wait or did you know, like what, what was the genesis for this book? Well, How did basically you know- uh, the, what Joey passing and let me do the, do, do the book properly, you know? Gotcha. Johnny realized I had a long talk with Johnny and interviewed him. He realized what, what was what was going on, and I I figured he might might not want to talk to me at all. But he actually gave me like three or four hours of interviews. It was amazing. Wow! So he really kind of understood what where he was coming from, and let it out. You know, it was nice. Wow! Did he did he or I guess Tommy might have read the book. Did he or did Johnny or Mar- uh, Marky ever read your book? Oh, yeah, they all read the book. Uh, they all read John, the book. Johnny actually liked the book. He said it was fine. Tommy, of course, he loved the book. You know, Marky read the book. He never talked to me about exactly about it. Well, right. but he, in his book, he, he writes some nice things about me, which is nice. Yeah. Well, you know, it's interesting. I The one thing I did notice, I, I felt like, I, I definitely felt like the uh, both Johnny and Marky kind of like went at each other in each other's books. Johnny said a couple things about Marky, and then Marky responded, <laughs> most certainly yeah. responded in his book, you know, yeah. uh, 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 at a later time when he came out with Blitzkrieg. So I thought that was interesting that that sort of, you know, went down, how that 
goes down. Um, were you familiar with uh, Marky in his stint when he was with when he was playing with uh, Jerry Only and the Misfit guys? No, but you know, I managed Marky in his first band after the Ramones, the Marky Ramone and, and the Intruders. When the Ramones split up, Marky came to me and said, You want to be manager? I said, Okay, I'll try it. Right. It's a different thing, tour manager and manager. So I gave him a good shot. I got him, I got him his first deal and his record, two records on uh, it was a good group, uh, Marky Ramone and, and the Intruders. It was a really good group. And I said, I put them out on the road with a different tour manager. And that, that though, you know, it was very interesting. But tour managing and managing were two different things. So, you know, a year and a half of that didn't work out well, but uh, not the way I wanted to. And we split up. I'm like, you know, friendly and stuff. And uh, it was interesting that I was involved in that, you know. Um, Joey put out his solo album, Don't Worry About Me. And you say in the book, you're like, what did you, I mean, I think it's pretty obvious what it was about, you know, or the, the title makes it pretty obvious or something. Something like that is you're quoted in there, um, but that took a couple of years to put that album together. That didn't just that wasn't like wasn't like one session. He had been doing that. It, it took him a span of, of time. Yeah, he's, he's working together. on that for a while. Yeah, with Daniel Ray and stuff like that. Yeah, you know? I mean, a title like "Don't Worry About Me" really does sound like some sort of finality. Um, but do you think that it started off that way when he was, you know? first tackling the idea of doing a solo album or did it eventually kind of like, well, he always wanted to do a solo album a long time, you know? Yeah. So when it finally came about, that title was very, you know, you know was, yeah, I proposed there. Yeah. Unfortunately it was sad, you know, it's a good, it's a For nice sure. album. You know, he has two albums, there's two albums out actually. Why I got the book deal was, Joey was signed to Sanctuary uh, Music. Yeah. And that at that time, Sanctuary had a publishing company. So a good friend of mine, Kevin Patrick, great friend, he's an A&R guy in the music business, uh, brought me into Sanctuary. They had a publishing company. And they said, let's do a book. So uh, that that's how it came about. And I said to them, look, I'm not really a writer, you know. So they said, don't worry, we'll get a ghostwriter. So they came up with a bunch of different people, and one of the people was there was Frank Meyer. He did such a great job. I mean, he's such great personality and yeah. musician and a Ramones fan and journalist. So I, I, I picked him, and I said, look, Frank is doing a great job. You can be co-writer on the book. Otherwise, it would just have been me with a ghostwriter. He wouldn't have been mentioned, but I said he'd you know, you did a great job, Frank. Thank you. It's Frank Meyer, Monte Melnick. So that's how he got involved. Wow. I mean, it's, you know, Frank, listen, right? you guys were well, you guys were well matched because like I said, I, just, great. I, I, again, I've, I, like I said, I read all these, I've read four or five books on the Ramones trying to get the whole, I keep thinking, Oh, you know, now I'll read Johnny's book. That'll give me another, you know, dimension of the story. I'll read Marky's book. That'll give us another dimension. But it's not until you read Monty's book that you get the full, I think you really need to read Monty's book to get, it's, it, your book is, I think, the most unbiased too, because even though it includes you, it's really done uh, Please Kill Me style, which is, you know, well, it's like- oral, oral history, type of oral history. Yeah. I interview a lot of people. Also, it's a great way to do it. Johnny was very influenced by, by my book. If you look at the way his book is laid out, 
it's kind of laid out like my book, you know, yeah. like a lot, most books are like uh, text, 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 pictures in the middle. Right. Text. My book is like, that's a beautiful part about my publisher at the time. It's true. They let me put in 300 images, pictures. Uh, they had a great art director in the back, uh, which is unusual, you know, at the time, you know? So, and Johnny was inf influenced by the whole thing. And that's why his book kind of looks the way the layout of his book is kind of like my book. Now, what's interesting, though, is Johnny's book. Johnny's book came out about six or seven years after he passed away. I wonder what, what what's the reason for that? Why he started working on it and then he just it got shelved because he had passed away? Or? Well, initially, I mean, they were using other people to write the book. He wasn't really sitting down and writing a book. So, right. That's uh, right. just, you know, he got sick and then uh, yeah. it got sidetracked, whatever. But my book came out well before every all the other books. The only book before me was Jim Bestman's book, was right. uh, American Band. And my book was... That's the uh, first and, one I read. That was uh, the first one I read. My book came out after that, 19, 2004. So my book's been around quite a bit. since It's in seven languages right now. So it's, it's around That's the amazing. world. That's but wonderful, truly. The new, the new book, bonus edition, is only on Amazon.com. Right. So you get link down below. Definitely check it out. If you have not scoped out this book, if you are a ginormous Ramones fan, this is definitely needs to be in your collection. You definitely need to read this to get a full scope of the story. I don't think there's anybody else more qualified to write a book about the Ramones than Monty here. I mean, truly, you know, I mean, everybody else. And uh, just out of curiosity, um, so Tommy passed away. Mm. Did, did Tommy have anything like writing wise in the works at all about like talking about his you know story at all? Or was that? No, as far as I know, no, he was basically <clears throat> working on his uh, solo career, which is uh, Uncle Monk. Uncle Monk, right. Like alt country bluegrass band. That's what he was into, you know. So he's working on that. And uh, as far as I know, I don't know. I haven't heard anything about him, a book by him, you know. Let me ask you this. Um, when when Dee Dee passed away, was it because, you know, unlike, you know, Joey and Johnny passed away and it was like the news, you know, you had gotten, you, you kind of were understanding that there was a battle being fought here and maybe they maybe they would come out, maybe they wouldn't come out and they passed away. But Dee Dee's was very sudden. Um, was that... Oh. Well, he died the rock and roll life, you know? Yeah. The other um, guy, unfortunately, was cancer, you know? Yeah. Do you by think... The, by the way, I mean, uh, Johnny had prostate cancer, and everybody out there should really go to the doctor once a year and get tested. Because if you get uh, tested early, you can beat it. Prostate. Right. Unfortunately, he's, you know, I, he ate good, he's uh, blah, blah, and uh, didn't go to the doctor enough. By the time he was got it uh, tested it was too late unfortunately you know frank zappa died of prostate cancer a lot of people don't i didn't it's, know that it's, yeah silent disease you don't know you got it you got to go once a right. year get it tested and it's easily fixed if you have it that's the problem right. i mean joey unfortunately has lymphoma yeah. hodgkin's lymphoma which he fought for years and tommy had bile duct cancer which is another weird thing you know so but Didi, uh, he, uh, I, he, I, you know, when he left the group, I figured he was going to be the first one to go, you know, because of his addiction. He lasted quite a long time. He actually yeah. kept going. He said, you know, 
I'm, I, I want to do it. I'm going to stay away from it. And I have it that one last time, you know? Right. That's what happened to the guy in Sublime. The guy in, I don't know how familiar you are with that story. The no, guy no. in Sublime, he, uh, he had their big, their big album that's, that went six times platinum, and he died of a heroin overdose a month before the album was released. One time. It's crazy. Yeah. Um, did um, Here's the other thing that I've always wondered. So you, all you guys toured forever and ever and ever, but it was like, it was really you. It, I mean, it's you, Johnny, and Joey that toured the whole 20 year, two years together. And I always wondered if the touring had played a part in like wearing down uh, Joey and Johnny uh, because it's just so odd to me that they had both, you know, passed away like relatively close together and from, you know, a similar sort of ailment. It's just, I don't know. I wonder if the tour, what touring. Uh, yeah. I mean, the, the touring is grinding. I mean, I'm here. Yeah. I am. I'm still here. You know, I did. That's, all, I, I that's why I'm saying it can't be true. You're, you know, <laughs> well, you know, it's cancer. It can't be true. Who knows with cancer? As I said, Johnny could have gotten that. He would still be alive. He, he tested early. Joey was, yeah. he was still, Joey would have still been alive. Unfortunately, uh, New Year's, uh, he fell down. He was on uh, treatment for the lymphoma. He fell down, broke his hip. They had to take him off the uh, medicine for the lymphoma. Right. And it got overwhelmed him, you know? Right. So, but touring did grind down Joey. It was over the years. There, we had to cancel tours where he was not in good shape for certain tours, you know? It does grind you down quite a bit. It is, yeah. you know, you got to really know what you're doing with it out there, especially touring as much as the Ramones toured, you know? But What's your uh, advice? What would be your advice for bands who are on like a crazy touring like schedule? Like what are some things that they should be doing that might help them? You think? Vitamins. <laughs> you know, you got to pace yourself. That's a, the, the thing about the Ramones is, you know, they weren't, you know, we played a show, go back and I kind of try to keep them in the hotel not to party, party, party. You know, a lot of bands, right. that's the problem. As I said before, when you're playing music, you're on stage, you're getting, you're getting that high. You're off the stage, you come off, and you want to keep that high going. That's right. when you start, you know, go to parties, drink alcohol, keep the high going. You got to keep that down. That's the whole thing. Don't party too much, you know, you got to coast the next day, you got to get up early and drive 300 miles and then play another, do the sound check. So you got to pace it. That's why I try to keep them under a pace. You know, it wasn't, it was right. difficult at times because Didi was out of control. Right. You know, but I, I kept them basically together. And Johnny was pretty much, he knew, he realized what was going on. He, no he, cookies. <laughs> he, was, yeah, he, he wouldn't go out and party after the shows and stuff like that. And stuff like that. Right. But you know, that's right. the whole thing. Keep it under control. Keep it under control. Uh, it's interesting how, I, yeah, you said that later in the book that like, you know, um, you started, it, it wasn't like a long block of, of, of going out on the road. It started to be like a month on, a month off, something like that to sort of, you know, change it up. So that's great. A yeah. um, couple of, uh, we're, 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 we're going we're gonna to wrap this up in a second. I just wanted to know, A, um, are you, so currently right now, are you involved in or do you get dragged into any sort of like Ramones mania type things of like, I don't know. Are there like conventions out there or some sort of like 
yeah, there's always something going on with the Ramones. I, I yeah. just was involved in something in, in Brazil called the Gaba Gaba Fest 3, and I did a little... Oh, what's uh, that about? Well, it's just, just a Brazil, Brazilian fans put together every year. They put together called Gaba Gaba Fest, and a lot of bands come and play. And nice. I did a little, like, if you, you go on my website uh, on uh, Facebook.com, on the Facebook, on Facebook, Monty and Malik, uh, on right. Facebook, it's on there. You, I did a little introduction to it, and then later on, Marky says a little uh, thing, and then at the end, Richie says a little thing about it. But it's basically all the Brazilian bands playing and singing about Ramones. The, things happen all the time with the Ramones. I mean, that's why since my book came out in 2004, I had to keep on updating it. <laughs> yeah. No, seriously, it's, it's fourth edition because every year something would happen. You know, you know uh, when the book first came out, then the, later on, like uh, Joey's passed away, and there's a Joey sign, and uh, Tom, Tom, uh, Johnny passed away, and then there's a, the thing with the Hollywood Forever Cemetery. And, right. Uh, there's a street sign in uh, Forest Hills High School. They named the Ramones Way, the street in front of high school. So things every year is happening with the Ramones. So I, you know, I, I do a lot of podcasts and stuff. Anybody out there wants to do a podcast with me, just get in touch with me, with me on uh, Facebook. And he's I'll be very happy. accessible, folks. He's the man when it comes but, to yeah, that. I got to have something to do because, yeah. I mean, I was I had a good job at the Queen's Theater in the park. I was an in-house manager there. But theaters are closed. Broadway's uh, closed. Live shows are closed. It's horrible. So right. I, I need something to do. People out there, I'm, I'm available. <laughs> Give me something to do. <laughs> so, hey, be careful what you be careful what you ask for. There, I got plenty of time. Believe me. <laughs> <laughs> be careful what you ask for. Um, one last question that yeah. you made me think of, uh, and and we could wrap it up. Um. You you brought up Richie for a second. It kind of uh, reminded me of like, you know, Richie seemed to have like a, a, a resurgence of you know his Ramonesness. Like for a long time, he was not about the Ramones, and then all of a sudden, he's really come back well, as Richie Ramone. Well, that's what the <laughs> there's three there's there's Marky Ramones out there, CJ Ramones out there, Richie Ramones out there. Yeah. I mean, CJ, initially when he left, I said, CJ, you're CJ Ramon. Don't, yeah. you know, he said, ah, forget it. Blah, 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 blah. Same thing with Richie. Richie left. He didn't want anything to do with the Ramones. There was times he didn't even pick up his royalties, but he realized right. he's Richie Ramon. So he came back as Richie Ramon. Marky was always there. Marky was right. always, always Marky Ramon. But Richie realized after a number of years, he's Richie Ramon. This huge people want to, the, they still want to hear the Ramones and Richie Ramone and, and CJ is great. It, CJ's terrific, by the way. He's, I saw uh, him live. Oh, he's Danny great. Ray oh, unbelievable. At the Continental. Uh, I saw yeah. him and, and Danny Ray do Ramones songs at the Continental. And I'll yeah. tell you, I'm embarrassed to say this, but that is, you're, you're going to laugh at me. I'm embarrassed to say this, but that is the closest thing I've ever seen to the Ramones. Okay. Well, that's why they're still out there. People want to see it. Marky's still out there. Marky basically plays mostly Ramones stuff. So he's right. tradition. You know, CJ and Richie have their own stuff, but they play Ramone stuff. And they're out there, CJ Ramone and Richie Ramone. And they're still drawing. They're still draw they realize there's a draw. Why don't give it up? Keep it going. You would I'm, imagine that I'm those dudes. I'm happy about that. I'm happy. But keep it going. Right. Keep it going. You would, you would imagine that those dudes, with whatever, again, obviously, you know, there's inter- feud stuff but you would imagine that those guys would sort of 
drop all that to go and just sort of like, I mean, obviously you're not the Ramones, but in the same way that you had the remains in the nineties, like, I mean, get it together, you know, throw Danny Ray on guitar or something and yeah. like, you know, go out and do what, you know, what, be something, you know, I don't know. Well, with who, with who? I mean, those those guys just like, you well, know, they're, like, they're, all, they're, all, they're out there and they're individually doing the stuff and they they're, play they're individually. But as a fan, yeah, I'm like, on, together. together. <laughs> you can't really get together. There's no they can't be really Ramones. Joey was it. You know, I mean, there could be CJ Ramone playing Ramone songs. and Mark well, No, Ramone no, no. Ramones. I don't mean that they should go out as the Ramones. Obviously not. Yeah, I just yeah, mean yeah. that in the way of like some. You know, even if they call themselves the Pinheads or, you know, the Gap well, no, they're, they're, you know. they're playing as C.J. Ramon, Mark Ramon, yeah. and Richard, the Ramones. So they, and they bring in, they're huge. I mean, they go down to South America, their fans go crazy, you know, because they're still, yeah. they want to taste the Ramones and they're getting a taste of the Ramones with right. their individual members out there, which is nice. Right. I love it. You know, it's great. It's like the yeah. T-shirt. The funny thing about the T-shirt is you see yeah. people wearing the T-shirt a lot of people don't even know what the Ramones are. They just like the T-shirt, you know? Right. That's the, you know, you say, when I was introing you with the, with, with your outro paragraph, I was introducing you. And that's, that must be the craziest trip of all is that you're just walking around. You're walking around here. You're walking around there. And you're just like, and you just see these kids, you know, with this stuff. And you're like, you don't even know, man. You don't even know. Cause like you, you know, and you know. <laughs> like, well, that, that's, that's why I carry around these little cards with me. In my oh, pocket, wow. when I see anybody wearing a Ramon shirt, I take yeah. this out. It has, a, you know, on the back, it tells you where to hit the book. So I go, yeah. here, you know, they like the Ramones here. Here's. Yeah, that's you know? cool. <laughs> Good for you, man. That's great. That's a great idea. Tell me, have you seen, has that translated into sales? Like, yeah, have you, you know, seen you know, a few, few things here and there, you know, sure. Hmm. You know. It's pretty great. That's pretty great. Listen, I got to thank you, Monty. This was such a, a, a treat, such a pleasure for me, truly, uh, as a as a semi as a semi fanatical Ramones fan, truly. And uh, again, guys, check out On the Road with the Ramones, but make sure you get the bonus editions, the bonus edition. Very important. It's not the you don't want the updated edition. Uh, you want the bonus edition. You know, Monty, I'm gonna make a suggestion. You gotta, you, you have to start putting the the year on, on the books every time you do a new book. You gotta put 2020 or you know 2021 or something. You know, well, just so if, we, you, uh, if you go on yeah. there on Amazon, it tells you what year it was put put out. So. Right, right, right. <laughs> um, so check that out, Monty. One last thing, uh, I have to ask you the thesis question for the whole show. This is why I invented the show in the first place. Is pizza punk? And if pizza is punk, what makes pizza punk? Because after every show, the Ramones wanted pizza. <laughs> I'm not kidding. No, I believe it. I believe it. Because I realize the funny thing about it is uh, throughout the country, they, they figured the pizza's not great, but they said Domino's because they knew Domino's would be okay. So they wanted pizza after every show. You know and what's funny about in the movie? In the movie, it's a funny thing about the, with the pizza. Right. You know? Yeah. Right. And it's true. Online. They love pizza. So pizza on Ramones. There you go. Yeah. There you go. And that's a thing that, you know, again, if you read the book, you hear about how the Ramones, the one thing, much like McDonald's, if you go to any McDonald's in the United States, you're going to get the same meal. It was the same thing for the Ramones at a Ramones show. You're always going to get the same, you're going to get the consistency of a good Ramones show 
no matter where you are in the country. And that's what makes the Ramones so American. I guess. World, the world. The world, right. The world. Thank you. Today, the right. world, tomorrow, you love. Today, the world, tomorrow, you love.